MSW Media. Thanks to Dipsy for supporting the Daily Beans. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories. If you're looking to light a spark or heat things up, there's a story waiting for you. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash dailybeans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, October 12th, 2022. Today, the Department of Justice has filed its response to Donald's motion to the Supreme Court in the Mar-a-Lago case. A Brooklyn center man has pled guilty to insurance fraud after staging a politically motivated arson attack. Experts at the Brookings Institution say the OPEC oil price hikes are meant to harm Democrats ahead of the midterms. NASA says their asteroid defense test was successful and prosecutors have dropped the charges against Adnan Syed. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hi, Dana. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to the Best Coasts. Thank you, my friend. Yes, I just landed today and I am uh, looking forward to the news. And a little bit later in the show, I'm going to be talking with the a reporter from The Intercept, Ken Klippenstein, about how OPEC oil price hikes are intended to harm the Democrats in the midterms, which we kind of all sort of thought, you know, but uh, he's got some experts uh, from from the Brookings Institution to talk about that. Good. And so we're going to have that discussion a little bit later. And then, of course, we will have the good news. If you have any good news you want to send to us, you can do so by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. And with that, let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. From Hugo Lowell at The Guardian, the U.S. Justice Department asked the U.S. Supreme Court today to reject Donald Trump's stupid attempt to reinclude 103 documents with classification markings to the special master for review. The department argued in a 34-page brief that is so just supremely well-written that the Supreme Court should reject the former president's motion and keep the documents out of the special master's purview since Trump did not show he was being irreparably harmed. He didn't even mention it and that his arguments about jurisdiction lacked merit. Quote, he does not acknowledge, much less attempt to rebut the Court of Appeals conclusion that the district court's order was a serious and unwarranted intrusion on the executive branch's authority to control the use and distribution of extraordinarily sensitive government records, unquote. So, Dana, this isn't the full appeal to Judge Cannon's orders. That's due Friday, October 14th, to the 11th Circuit by the Department of Justice. What this is, is the response to Trump's very narrow petition to SCOTUS to vacate part of the 11th Circuit's ruling that allowed the Department of Justice to continue using the classified documents in their criminal probe and in their national security risk assessment. Something I noted, the first thing that popped out to me when I read this filing was that the DOJ specifically mentions the attestation letter that Christina Bob signed that Evan Corcoran wrote and told her to sign, directed her to sign. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and part of that, they say, is that, you know, we handed over all the classified documents to the best of my knowledge. But they also point out part of that letter that says she certified they had not made any copies of the documents. Now, that's the second time the Department of Justice has specifically mentioned that part of her certification letter, which leads me to believe the Department of Justice may have evidence 
that the Trump team did make copies <laughs> of those, you know, but we, why even put that in the letter? I know? love when they do that and they say the quiet part out loud. Yeah. And so that's that's what I think. Either that or the Department of Justice is trying to head off a possible defense from Trump because Trump might say, hey, you guys only confiscated copies of classified documents. I gave the originals back before I left. And uh, copied and gave them to Russia before that. <laughs> yeah, but either way, they've noted specifically again. So I would look for that to be part of the investigation. Now, Justice Clarence Thomas can decide this on his own, but he probably won't. 99.999% chance he'll refer this to the full court to decide. My beans are that they will deny Trump's motion to vacate part of the 11th Circuit's order and that they'll do it pretty quickly. Give me the beans! Keep in mind, any delay that this is causing does not harm the Department of Justice at all, because right now they have access to the classified documents because the 11th Circuit said that they could have, you know, you guys can keep using them. You don't have to hand them over. So this delay doesn't impede the investigation. And if SCOTUS for some reason, which I really doubt, but if for some reason they rule in favor of Trump, that will mean the special master can review the classified documents. That's all it will mean. I doubt that will happen, but it's not really... It's a small thing. It's kind of a small, you know, the the only thing I can see, you know, getting fucked up is if they give them to the special master and then Cannon fires Deary as the special master, which she's allowed herself to do. Right. And or somehow gets those documents over to the Trump team so that they can see what's there, although they should know because they went through the boxes themselves Supposedly. to pull out those 38 classified documents, you know pursuant to the subpoena in June. So that's what's going on with this case. All right. Thanks, AG. And we see this happen all the time, which is why I'm skeptical every time there's a fucking story. A Brooklyn center man has pleaded guilty to wire fraud after filing fraudulent insurance claims for a staged arson. This is announced U.S. Attorney Andrew Luger. Now, according to court documents on September 23rd, follow me with the story. Dennis Vladimir, Vladimirovich Mola, 30 years old, He falsely reported to law enforcement that someone had lit his camper on fire and that three unknown males were near his home when he heard an explosion. Now, Mola also reported that his garage door was vandalized with spray painting graffiti stating Biden 2020, Black Lives Matter, an Antifa symbol, and that his camper was targeted because it had a Trump 2020 flag displayed on it. In reality, Mola started his own property on fire and spray painted the graffiti on his own fucking garage. Now, according to documents, court documents, Mola submitted multiple insurance claims seeking coverage for the damage to his garage, camper, vehicles, and residents caused by the fire. When Mola's insurance company denied some of those claims, Mola submitted a written complaint to the insurance company claiming it was defrauding him and threatened, oh. yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm being defrauded by my defrauder, the person I'm trying to defraud, company. Yeah, he threatened to report the company to the Department of Commerce and to the Attorney General. Oops. So, Mola, yeah, Mola's a little bit... Now, Mola also created and allowed others to create two GoFundMe accounts to benefit him and his family. In total, he submitted more than $300,000 in fraudulent insurance claims. He received approximately $61,000 from his insurance company. Mola also received more than $17,000 from individual donors via GoFundMe. Absolutely crazy. He pleaded guilty today in U.S. District Court before Senior Judge David Doty to one count of wire fraud. A sentencing hearing will be scheduled at a later time. What if these just hit Twitter and I saw your comment and you were like, I would bet my entire savings account this person did this to themselves. (laughs) Yeah. 
That's a different one. Oh, I know it's a different one. I, that's what I'm saying. But, I'm skeptical. Every time I see a story now, I'm like, these fuckers are doing it to themselves. Yeah, especially when the spray paint says, like, revenge on Trump, you know, or whatever. It's like, come on, dude, yeah. seriously. Or the one guy who who said that his driveway was graffitied with Black's rule. Yep. Because, yeah, that's what, uh, that's a typical tag. I see that everywhere, you know. Yeah, that's what the community calls themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that they rule. Oh, yeah. That's, we that's, rule. Yeah. yeah. Rule. Yeah. Oh, Doyle rules. Yeah. It was probably spelled R-O-O-L-S. Blacks <laughs> rule. <laughs> now, here's some great news. Baltimore prosecutors Tuesday dropped the charges against Adnan Syed Woo-hoo. in the 1999 murder case of Heyman Lee after DNA evidence excluded him, supported his innocence. The news comes weeks after his murder conviction was overturned. Syed was sentenced to life in prison in the year 2000 for the murder of Lee, his former girlfriend, and his case gained a national attention in 2014 from the podcast Serial. The Baltimore City State Attorney's Office confirmed, the, yes, that's what it's called, the Baltimore City State Attorney's Office there you confirmed have it. Tuesday morning that the charges were dropped. Baltimore City State Attorney Marilyn Mosby said in a press conference Tuesday that she dismissed his criminal case following a second round of touch DNA testing of items that were never tested before. Officials tested a skirt, pantyhose, shoes, and a jacket belonging to Lee, and the same DNA mixture of multiple contributors was found on both of her shoes. But testing found that Syed's DNA was not found on any of the evidence. She explained that touch DNA, which analyzes skin cells left on surfaces at crime scenes, has been available since 2003. The case was originally prosecuted in 1999, and advances in DNA technology allowed for new testing. Why that hadn't been done between 2003 and 2022, I'll never know. Now, Rabia Chowdhury, a friend of mine and a family friend of Syed, who brought the case to Serial, released a statement praising the news of the drop charges. She said, for decades now, my prayer and the prayer of people who love Adnan have been not only that he's released from prison, but he returns home with his dignity and reputation restored, his record cleared, and the killer of Haman Lee brought to justice. We prayed for all of those things, and God has granted nearly every prayer. And she went on to say she believes in her soul that they will catch the real killer. I hope that they do. Now, last story here. This is all for all you, you space space fans. I say space fans, but it's kind of a space thing. NASA says its mission to knock an asteroid off course, a test of planetary defense. It was hugely successful. In fact, it exceeded its expectations. The double asteroid redirection test, otherwise known as DART, slammed a spacecraft into one asteroid to see if it could change its orbit around another asteroid. It did. About 7 million miles away from Earth, asteroid Dimorphos is in orbit around a larger asteroid called Didymos. And I know there's people listening to this that are going to correct me, and that is okay. I want to be corrected if I'm wrong, but we're going with Didymos. I think it's Didymos. Let's go to but- Didymos, because that sounds <laughs> like I actually get Didymos. Well, who says Didymos? Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like we should leave that one in for the listeners. Everyone, every once in a I while. I could be wrong, too. No, Didymus, Didymus sounds, I mean, come on. Dimorphous and Didymus that... sounds way more than Didymus. Didymus. Mighty Mouse. Oh, my Here God. Here he comes to save the day. Now, I think Didymus is the name of the dog. Oh, my God. In, um, in Labyrinth. <laughs> and we're going with Didymus. Right. And leave it in, Dutch. Whatever happens at this point is fine. And Didymus. It usually takes 11 hours, 55 minutes for Dimorphos to make a complete orbit. 
After the DART spacecraft made impact two weeks ago, <laughs> geez, that orbit has shortened to 11 hours, 23 minutes, a 32-minute change. This is a watershed moment for defense. This is from NASA Administrator Bill Nelson. Said He said that on Tuesday. Went on to say this mission shows that NASA is trying to be ready for whatever the universe throws at us, <laughs> literally. The two asteroids pose no threat to Earth, but the test is proof of concept that if another asteroid does appear headed in Earth's direction, scientists have a way of pushing it off course. Cool. Didymus. One last thing. Didy mouse. <laughs> Didy mouse. Didy mouse. <laughs> Didymus. Didymus. <laughs> Nicodemus. 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 There we go. <laughs> yeah. So cool. One last thing to worry about. And I think that that's a pretty significant movement, shortening an orbit by half an hour. I mean, depending what happens in the midterms, part of me is like, depending how this swings, just let the thing hit us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When so I, get when, out and when vote. You say, when you say NASA can take care of whatever the universe throws at us, can that also be yeah. like, like Ru- Trump? Russian interference and gerrymandering? <laughs> Can we throw Trump's orbit off? That would be nice. I don't want that thing anywhere near Uranus. That's for sure. (laughs) All right. I'll be back with Ken Klippenstein after this quick break. Everybody stay with us. Didymos. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, what is your summer fantasy? A whirlwind romance in Italy? Dancing with a tall stranger in a warm rainstorm? Maybe an unexpected summer fling with your hot neighbor? No matter how you want to get steamy this season, Dipsy has a sexy story for you to indulge your fantasies. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring exciting scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters, no matter who you're into or what turns you on. You'll find stories about an intriguing coworker with a British accent, hooking up with your hot yoga instructor, stuff like that. And they release new content every week, meaning Dipsy gives you the opportunity to find your favorite fantasies in the same place you look for new ones. Dipsy also has sleep stories, wellness sessions, and other written stories, too. I highly recommend you check it out today. And for listeners of this show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash dailybeans. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsy, D-I-P-S-E-A, stories.com slash dailybeans. Again, that's dipsystories.com slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm here today with a reporter for The Intercept, a fascinating story called Election Interference, Oil Price Hike is Saudi Arabia's October Surprise Against Biden. Please welcome Ken Klippenstein. Hi, Ken. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm really excited to talk to you about the story that you put out today. It came out on October 11th, which is yesterday to the folks listening to the show right now. And you spoke to some experts, like at the Brookings Institution, for example, and can you tell us what you found out? Because, you know, we've we've all sort of kind of been imagining that this, you know, OPEC reduction in oil barrel production will, you know, send gas prices through the roof right before the election. And we know a lot of people vote based on how how gas prices hit their pocketbooks. So talk to me a little bit about what you found out from some of these experts. Yeah. So in interviewing them, um, one individual I interviewed, Bruce Rydell, he's a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution. He didn't mince any words. He said, quote, the Saudis are working to get Trump reelected and for the MAGA Republicans to win the midterms. He went on to say, higher oil prices will undermine the Democrats. Now, you know, that might seem obvious, but that's very strong language from somebody who works for a pretty state institution, like uh, a state organization like the Brookings Institution. And um, as I talked to people in Congress, a number of different staffers, I started to hear exactly the same kinds of concerns. Not that the Saudis can't, you know, change oil prices, but to change them so dramatically and in the context of this 
Ukraine war and the elections happening just three weeks from now, the conclusion was the same on the part of so many people that I talked to, which is that this is becoming a weapon pointed at the head of the Democrats by a regime under the young crown prince Mohammed bin Salman, who is known to have an extremely close relationship to former President Trump, his uh, senior advisor and son-in-law, Jared Kushner. And so that was, again and again, you know, sentiments that I was hearing from people on uh, both Capitol Hill and the expert side. And did you talk to anybody about how much time it would take to see an impact on the gas prices or when this production would start ramping down or if it would be immediate or, you know, because in my mind, I figure like if they, you know, if they don't start, you know, ramping down production, I don't, ramping down is probably not the right a good way to put it, you know, slowing production or cutting production. I feel like it would take some time for us to see the impact at the pump. Did anyone talk about how how fast this could take effect? Yeah. So as is the case with economics, often uh, these things are complex, but some uh, impression I got quickly was that it's not just about the price at the pump. There's a very close relationship between inflation and the cost of oil. Now, the cost of oil is already high because of the sanctions on Russia, which obviously, you know, I support and is something that's necessary. However, when the Saudis go ahead and cut production, that's not something that's necessary that exacerbates further the problem that we have of high oil prices. And that doesn't just affect the price at the pump. That figures into the cost of everything that we buy because we have a fossil fuel economy. It affects the cost of shipping things overseas. It affects the cost of manufacturing things since most electricity is produced by fossil fuels, by oil. So what I what I came to realize is that their oil policy is really a lever they have that can affect the entire Western and and global economic situation. I mentioned inflation a minute ago. That is known to be very closely tied to the cost of oil. Again, not because oil is some magical product, but it just factors into the price of everything. It happens to be part of the cost of manufacturing basically anything you can think of. Yeah. And unfortunately, the the rich, the wealthy, the oil barons, the the train barons, you know, we know that the the train strike is, uh, well, not imminent again, but they, you know, they they failed to reach a deal with that. It seems like everyone who stands to benefit from Republican policy wants to throw a wrench into the economy. And I think it feels like they're willing to do it, you know, at the cost of to the American people just to to retain power or, you know, get it back, as it were, with this particular midterm with regard to Congress. So, you know, we we never thought any of this was far-fetched, but it's really fascinating to get these experts, these these, you know, folks with these with inside knowledge and incredible insight to say, yeah, this is definitely a kind of a, a an awful but lawful way to interfere in in our elections. Yeah, that's exactly what this is. It's election interference and you know, we were late to the game in terms of, I think, the general public understanding when the Russians did it in 2016. And my hope in writing this story is to try to draw attention to when the Saudis try to do it. And because I, I think even on the part of elected officials publicly, they will talk about the effect of, you know, the Ukraine war. This is just going to be a, a literal killing for for Vladimir Putin and for his revenue at a time that he desperately needs it. But what they're less willing to talk about is the effect that it's going to have on the electoral prospects of the Democrats in for midterms in, in three or four weeks from now. And I would, uh, you know, in talking to people on the Hill about this, I think the impression is they don't want to sound mercenary, too mercenary about it and say, oh, you know, we're just, but I don't think there's anything wrong with just coming out and candidly saying, um, and that I think it's important for the public to understand what the political stakes are 
when you have a regime that I, I think there's plenty of evidence to suggest they favor having the Republicans in office, what, what effect they can have on our economic system based on their production decisions. I don't think there's anything wrong with coming on saying that. Yeah. And and at this point, you know, if if Putin and Mohammed bin Salman have kind of dumped Trump, he doesn't even need to be a part of this anymore. It benefits countries like Saudi Arabia, China, Russia, for Democrats to lose in, in elections, regardless of whether it's Trump. It's kind of just this Trump effect. It's going to be around and it's going to continue to happen. And it was happening before Trump got here, too. So, you know, with regard to, you know, Trump leaving these like landmines to, to blow up with the baby formula shortage that, you know, started back in 2018. And I can imagine them sitting around having meetings like, what can we do now that if we lose the election, we'll fuck up the Democrats in four or five years? Because a lot of these things, they do take time. But it seems like what you're saying, and based on these expert opinions, that this could hit, you know, may hit the gas pump, but will also impact inflation in a very fast pace. So there's sort of two effects of these things. Uh, one is the actual effect in terms of the cost of things that that you know will take time to come into play. And my understanding is will come into play before the elections. But then there's the psychological one, which is that businesses are making decisions immediately based on the perception of what the economic environment is going to look like. So you you see uh, in the stock market things change instantaneously upon an OPEC uh, announcement about their production uh, schedules because they have to make decisions in real time about how to allocate resources in the future. Yeah. And Jamie Dimon coming out and saying, you know, we're going to see a recession here in six or nine months also has an impact, as does any statements the Fed chair makes. And, you know, as we know, the Fed chair currently is the one that Trump appointed <laughs> and um, is is a little uh, mm, he's not as conservative with his statements, I will say, uh, as previous Fed chairs have been. Ad- admirably, admirably frank on his part. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if he intends it that way, but yeah, he's very open about it. It's a very interesting parallel. I mean, he's just coming out saying, we got to jack up unemployment and it's going to have a lot of the same effect as what these oil production cuts are going to have. Yeah, but the message is, hey, if you don't want inflation, we have to take jobs away from you. That's how the that's how the economy works, particularly coming out of something like a pandemic that we've never really had to deal with in the modern era before. Yeah, no, it's an interesting comparison. Mm-hmm. Would it surprise you that bankers and and fossil fuel petro states would prefer to have the uh, party in power in the U.S. that is going to want to continue with fossil fuels as long as possible? So yeah, I don't yeah, think- and and keep giving them tax breaks and windfalls and <laughs> right. revoke the fifteen percent minimum corporate tax right. that just got put on them. You know, yeah, it's it's um it's a tough line to walk. Well, I appreciate this you coming in and clarifying some of this these issues. The the intercept, everyone, go check it out. Look for the story: election interference, oil price hike is Saudi Arabia's October surprise against Biden. Thanks so much for joining me today, Ken Klippenstein. Thanks for having me. Everybody, stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Are you struggling with the political upheaval of the current moment? Maybe you're trying to figure out how to keep going and fight for a better world. Well, starting in October, we're bringing you a brand new podcast made for the here and now. It's called Living Through It with ECM, a podcast for interesting times. Hosted by me, Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin, a renowned activist and leadership expert, Living Through It hosts weekly interviews with guests who are changing the world from the ground up. We're offering you advice on how to continue working toward a better future in the face of burnout and exhaustion, 
And our aim is to inspire you, create hope, and share a collective vision for a more just and equitable future. I hope you'll join us on Living Through It with ECM, a podcast for interesting times. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, Halloween photos, pod pet tax photos, you want to send us adoptable pets in your area, shout out to someone you love, anything you want to send us at all, please do by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Also, check your voter registration and then check your moms and then check your brothers and your sisters and your cousins and your aunts and uncles, especially Uncle Frank. Please, Uncle Frank. We know what Uncle Frank Yes. And and remember, when you go to Thanksgiving this year, I mean, I know it's a, it's, a, it's a ways off, but prepare yourself to just grab your MAGA uncle's phone and subscribe him to the Daily Beans. Okay. So first up from Sean, pronouns he and him. Hi, AG and DG. Before being appointed to the bench, the Honorable Diane Humatewa was a special advisor where I work and our paths crossed a time or two. Her name is pronounced. I am Diane Humitewa. The Daily Beans is part of my morning routine. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Sean. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you for the corrections on that, because I definitely, especially when it comes to indigenous names, I really, please always correct me. So thank you for that, because I had a feeling I wasn't pronouncing it right. Oh, my God. You have the cutest dog in your... In, oh, my God, I do. This is from Sharon G. No pronouns from Sharon, but hi, Beans Queens. Sharon here, originally from Oklahoma, currently residing in Atlanta City, New Jersey. I'm a tribal member of the great Cherokee Nation. I heard, oh, here's another one. Good. I heard today's podcast and a lovely Dana read a wonderful story about a Cherokee man and some beautiful Muskogee tribal lands. And at the end of his submission, he signed off with the Cherokee word for thank you. Wait, well, now I know that it's Wadu. So it, which is Wadu and Dana pronounced it Wadu. I did. And thank you so much for the correction. So happy to hear my tribal language on the air, but I wanted to make a slight correction for the pronunciation. It's wadu with an ah, like saying ah, when a doctor wants you to look at their throat. I listen to your show the first thing every morning with my coffee and I make my bed and ready myself for the day fully armed with the facts and some laughter. Thank you for all that you do. Wadu. P.S. This is Sugar, my 17-year-old multi-poo I inherited from my dad when we moved him to skilled nursing about seven years ago. She is the light of our lives, looks like a stuffed animal come to life, and still runs and plays. Great breed. Oh, she's so sweet. This little baby girl. Cause so cause so my, my bestie, Joelle, they have a multi-poo yeah. named Marley Moo. And this is just, they're like, like little twinsies. So cute. So good. Thank you for that. Thank you all for the corrections. Please keep sending them in. Next up from Candy, no pronouns. I was moved by the interview with Michael Fanon. So moved that I wanted to share. My son Chaz passed away in 2015 after nearly two decades of struggling with mental illness. The course of his illness brought him in contact with the police in many ways. Some of those were dangerous and a little abusive, but many were thoughtful, caring, and helpful. Our family experienced the good and the bad. And when all was said and done, Chaz had a great respect for those officers that were there to help, even when he was being incarcerated. From the interview, I felt Officer Fanon would have been one my son respected. I'm including a picture of Chaz with our loved pets, Savage the Cat and Spunky the Dog. 
All have passed away now, so I'll include my current lovely pet minion, the Emperor Cat. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Candy. What a very beautiful child. Yeah, look at these babies. Oh, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. And, you know, I, I have to say, I, I've, I've spent a lot of time with Fanon, and he's just truly just an outstanding person. It's so nice to hear, too. This next one's from Jill Z, pronouns she and her. Hello. Number one, compliment. Love y'all, and I'm grateful for your work, grateful for this community. You help me stay inspired to participate in our democracy. And two, good news. Meet Cardboard Rob. My local Williamsburg, James City County Indivisible group is posting interviews on social media with a cutout of our incumbent Republican Rep. Rob Whitman. And I am here for it. Rob's a MAGA curious, word salad master chef who never really gives a straight answer. Hashtag Cardboard Rob. It's more concise than actual Rob. I mentioned to y'all a few weeks ago, Virginia's first congressional district has an excellent Democratic candidate. Er, Herb. (laughs) Herb Jones. Herb with a fucking H. That's right, because there's a fucking H in it. Challenging Whitman in the 2022 midterms. Pollsters may write off Virginia One as a non-competitive, but they underestimate us. Now, there's going to be, got this. There's a link. We'll have this in our show notes to this interview. And number three, number three, pet tax. Here's pics, my chubby terrier, Roxy. Here's a pics of my chubby terrier, Roxy, in a happy place. The window bench, plus pics of me with Cardboard Rob at recent Women's Wave March and a screenshot of our Cardboard Rob interview. Thank you. (laughs) Oh my God, these are fantastic. Look at Cardboard Rob. He he looks like a doofus. (laughs) Oh, look at that. That looks like a very, very happy place. Indeed. I know, I want to sit there. I know, I want to have tea. Like That makes me want to have tea. (laughs) I love it. All right, next up from Chris, pronouns he and him. A shout out to someone on the other side. On October 9th, my best friend from college will have been gone one year. It's been rough, but the older I get, the more I realize how precious true friendships are. I have so many memories and laughs that help me move through the harder times, but I do wish we had had more time. Almost three years as roommates during undergrad, and then I convinced Dan to move to the South for grad school for a few more years. This still wasn't enough time. Life lessons being taught to each other because of how very different we are helped me to become a better person. I do believe you were brought into my life for many reasons, and I have kept the last message you sent me just days before your accident. Quote, this is why I love you. Goodness. You were the best, Pookie. You're missed, loved. I will forever see you as my brother. Attached are pics from our college days. Dan and Pookie, our friend Dana and myself in almost every picture, we seem to lined up in this order. And his pet tax, my two furry buddies, Dylan, but I call him Dill since he looks like my first ever cat I named Pickles, and Biswald, the 12-year-old who seems like a feline Benjamin Button. Look at that smile. Yeah, right? Totally, totally infectious smile. Oh, man. Okay, and these cats, these look like photos, like like professional, you know. Yeah, like glamour shots of cats. Yeah, or like attorney at law. You know, (laughs) (laughs) that one on the left looks like I am Cat J. Jones, cat lawyer, attorney at law, J.D., here for, you know, did you drink water at Camp Lejeune from 1953 (laughs) to 1986? Call me. Oh, my God. Mm. Thank you so much for that. Those pictures are wonderful. 
Oh, my heartstrings are being pulled today. This is from Janet, pronouns she and her. Hi, mighty beans, ladies. A right to honor a wonderful actor who died on the 11th. I had the privilege to work next to and then with Angela Lansbury. I'm the assistant director who answered an Amy's court case a while back. Oh, assistant. Yeah, assistant director. Oh, that's right. I spent a season working as a trainee AD next to Murder, She Wrote production. That crew loved and respected Angela. A few years later, as a second AD, I substituted onto that company for two weeks. I can personally attest to her awesome relationship with the crew. As an aside, her son was directing the episode and notoriously went over budget in time. However, this episode, neither of those things happened. Angela asked the first AD what had caused this change, and she graciously attributed the good results to my work. Angela then sought me out alone to thank me for my work. Her relationship to this podcast goes beyond being the star of Murder, she wrote. Her first work on the screen was 1944's, it was 1944's Gaslight, of which was an Oscar-nominated movie. This film title story now appears regularly in the news these days. Hmm. Interesting. My pod pet is nine years old, Jenny. She had been returned to the shelter three times when I got lucky and found her. Yes, she has attitude. (laughs) Yes, she does. Jenny has attitude. Yeah, Gaslight was such a great movie. She was 19 years old. Wow. She was nominated for the Oscar in her very first movie. Beautiful. I I think I saw a picture of um, uh, Firestein, Harvey Firestein. Is my remember his last name right? Harvey Firestein posted a picture on Twitter of he and Angela today, and they were just... What a golden time to be an actor and together and know each other. She's beautiful, beautiful and brilliant. Yeah. yeah and I've been watching her, um, you know, everything's coming up roses and uh, she's just absolutely outstanding yeah. in so many ways. And yeah, the inspiration for Muller, she wrote. Love it. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for all your good news and pet ticks. Look, look at, look at Jenny. <laughs> Look at Jenny, so cute cat. So Jenny's given side eye. Jenny's like, please go fucking vote. That's what that face looks like. Yes. So we have cat attorney at law and then Jenny side eye. I love it. <laughs> Thank you all so much. If you have anything you want to send in, you can do so by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. If you want to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash the daily beans. Uh, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here for the day? I do not. I'm going to go and work on my pronunciation of asteroids. <laughs> <laughs> Didymos. Didymos. It's like a Mighty Mouse. Didymos. <laughs> Maybe Didymus, Dana? I don't know. Everyone fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Everyone fuck off. <laughs> get off my lawn. Flabbity flea. All right, everybody, we'll be back tomorrow with more beans. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. And please take someone with you. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.